Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. An example to them and to us. Secondly, he defined greatness for them. He actually redefines greatness for them. He says it'll be the last, it'll be the least, it will be the lowest. The servant of all is the greatest in the kingdom of God. I don't think any of them, if they'd been given a little survey, who do you think is the greatest after Jesus, would have said, well, it's the servant, the last, the least, the last. Today we begin a new message. Pastor Sam is entitled, The Greatest. We will be looking at Mark chapter nine, starting in verse 30, and we will consider as Jesus once again tells his disciples of his impending death on the cross. We will also look at his disciples as they debate which of them would be the greatest when Jesus sets up his kingdom. So let's listen in. Mark 9, 30 through 50, the greatest. Jesus addresses three major issues, three serious dangers in this section of Mark's gospel. The first, selfish ambition. The second, party spirit. The third, failure to deal with our sin. He begins bridging what's gone before. What was that? Well, his revelation of his future glory as he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. And then, of course, he tells his disciples that, that he's going to be well, going up to Jerusalem and he'll be handed over and he'll be crucified, but he'd rise again the third day. And, and that sort of ended the last section and it bridges into this one. We'll start at verse 30 just to get the context. They departed from there and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know it, for he taught his disciples and said to them, the son of man is being betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. But they did not understand this saying and they were afraid to ask him. It's, it's interesting that, that in spite of the fact that he could have only meant this literally, they couldn't conceive of how that could work if he was going to rule and reign upon the earth. Well, we have the whole story, the rest of the story. We know he was coming twice, has come the first time to die for our sins, buried and risen again, ascended to heaven. He will come again for us. We'll meet him in the air. We'll spend some time there at the throne of the Father, casting our crowns at the feet of our Lord, worshiping him, holy, holy, holy Lord God, Almighty, and then he'll return to earth and we will return with him where he will rule and reign for a thousand years. Well, after all of that, it says he came to Capernaum and when he was in the house, he asked them, what was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? They're walking and saying, hey, what was that all about back there? What are you guys arguing about? What are you trying to figure out? Well, for one of the few times, Peter has nothing to say. In fact, it says they all kept silent on, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. Now I've pointed it out, but you'll get even more sensitive to it as we continue through. Every time he talks about his death, his burial, his resurrection, they start talking about their place in the coming kingdom. And we'll see there's some good to that and there's some bad to that and we'll deal with all that in just a moment. Well, they're arguing among themselves as they seem to really enjoy doing which of them 
would be the greatest. The parallel passages in Matthew and Luke make it clear they're talking about greatest in the coming kingdom. That's important because if not, greatest what? Well, I'll give you some ideas in a moment. He sat down, he called the 12 to him and said to them, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he'd taken him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Well, first, let's talk about or look at what they got right. They believed the kingdom was coming. They were convinced they had a place in the kingdom, a purpose in the kingdom age. That was all secure. He told them they were sure. We'll rule and reign with him. They said, you'll sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Their problem was they didn't understand or know what their position and rank related to one another would be. It hadn't been revealed. And somehow that seemed important to them, relevant to them. When you go back just about, well, three years at this point, they were fishing or they were tax collecting or, or, well, Judas was probably running some scam because he turns out to be a thief, not just a traitor and a betrayer. But they were all doing something far less significant than representing Jesus out there in the world. And so they have been taken from their ordinary station in life, their ordinary careers, not, not that we want to diminish that. They worked, they provided, they did what everyone's supposed to do, but they were raised to a higher calling, at least for them. And so what happens is they're, they're like, well, this is pretty awesome, but what we really want to know, and James and John will make this clear. We'll see it in chapter 10, not next week, but most likely the week after. They want to know in the coming kingdom, can they sit at his right hand and his left? They don't just want to know they have a position. They want the very closest position, the very most, the, the most prestigious positions. They want everybody to see them sitting at the right hand of Jesus when he comes into his kingdom. Matthew's gospel, and we'll come back to this. You can read ahead. Don't do it now. But later today, go and read chapter 10. That's where we're headed next. And, and anyway, they, in Matthew's gospel, it says they actually ask mom to ask Jesus, which seemed weird to me. I mean, my mom was very affirming. She told me I was great and I was smart and I was athletic and turned out not all that was true. But she was that affirming mom. She wanted me to believe in myself and believe there was nothing I couldn't do. These guys, well, they're self-affirmers. They, they all think they're going to be great, or most of them apparently think so. So what they got right, first of all, they believed their place and their purpose in the coming kingdom was secure. The second thing, they had forsaken all to follow him. Now, Jesus doesn't call all of us to quit our jobs and go out by faith and do some work spiritually. What he does call all of us to do is flourish and blossom where he has us planted. If he wants to move us on to something different, well, he'll do that. 
But when I first came to Christ, I was playing music in the nightclubs. I usually say bars. Pam says, could you call them nightclubs? They're the same thing, you know. And, and so, but anyway, I played, did that for eight years. I came to Christ the last year I was, uh, you know, in those clubs. And, and uh, the Lord didn't get me out right away. I started praying before I was a Christian to get out of those clubs. I wasn't really sure who I was talking to or how all that would pan out. But I wanted out because when you're 19 with the phony ID playing music in a club, you're, you're the sort of, you think you're the main attraction. Actually, you are the social director of the Alcoholics Club. But, uh, but we thought we were something. But you spend about seven or eight years doing that and you're like, oh my gosh, how am I going to, I can't do this my whole life. I was married, I had a child, and I'm like, I got to get out of here. And, and so I prayed and the Lord eventually gave me a job at Disneyland. But listen, for six months, I went into those clubs where I used to do all sorts of things I never should have been doing with the guys in the band. And now they're all, yeah, you think you're better than us now, huh? Little Christian man and all of that stuff. Why does he leave us in that setting? He wanted me to grow there. He wanted me to be transformed before their eyes. Not just confess that I'd become a Christian, not just profess that I'd become a Christian, but demonstrate the difference. And, and so they, they, they were called to leave all that. He called Pam and I to do the same. First, he gave us three years at Disneyland. So I had time to train, to study, to, to really learn the word of God and, and spend all my free time. And I really did that in it. And then at five years old, actually three and a half years old in the Lord, we, we went up to uh, Yuba City and spent a year and a half. And then we leapfrogged up here. And we were five years, I was five years old in the Lord, took her a while to believe I was for real. Even Pam wasn't sure. But uh, anyway, five years old in the Lord, we came up and, and this work began in earnest. There was 25 people, they wanted a Calvary. That happened in December, December 1983. So it will be 35 years this December. We'll celebrate both, well, our anniversary Christmas Eve and the founding of our, our fellowship that same week. So anyway, we forsook all to follow him. We left our friends, we left our, our trade, we left our family, we left everyone and everything that defined us and was security to us and came to a place where we knew no one for $500 a month. That's what they paid us. We rented a place for $550. We didn't tell the landlord we were only making $500 and he would have really been upset if he knew we tithed because uh, that meant we only had 450. But anyway, the Lord provided. There are great stories related. No time for all of them, or we'll never get to even the third of 400 points today. So they'd forsaken all to follow him. And we're called to, to do the same. First, flourish where we are. He's planted us right where he wants us to blossom and grow and flourish for him. And in their case, and in my case, and in many others, it's been something more than just, you know, okay, I'm going to be my best here. He said, okay, that's, we're done with the clubs. Now we're, we're done with Disneyland. Now we're moving on. And I, well, this is the rest of that story. Well, third thing, they desired to excel, to be great for and in the Lord. And I want to say, no Christian should settle for mediocrity. You know, I remember when I was very young in the ministry, some, some worship people, no one like Rich, that's for sure. But although he was around from the very beginning, 
But, but I was talking to some people that did worship and they said, well, it's good enough for worship. And I'm like, what? Good enough for worship. We smoked it in the clubs. We, we killed it there. And worship should be like that. I'm not saying the music should be that style or that, that scene. But we should be doing our best always for our Lord. Nothing less than our very best. Well, they desired to be uh, great for the Lord. What did they get wrong? Three things. Their understanding, their orientation, their mindset was worldly. It was carnal. They were just like the other people around them. In the world, the one who's greatest, well, he might start in the, the mail room, but eventually he'll be in the boardroom or eventually he'll be in the penthouse with the windows all around and he'll be the big wig. I just want to say, if you want to, to know that that's not how it works here, come sometime with me to my office because it's this closet upstairs and, and there's you walk in and there's all these wires and stuff because all the media junk's in there and it just looks like a nightmare. Now, I know we could fix that up, but I just don't care. It was never about an office for me. I'm not really an office kind of guy. But, but I want to say in the world that's aspiring to become the one that everyone has to look up to, that everyone has to listen to, the one who can say, you're fired at any given moment. I'm proud to say I've never fired anybody here at Calvary Chico. I'm also proud to say I have Pastor Bud in my right hand. And <laughs> once I went on vacation and when I came back, he said, I, I fired, I won't say who, but anyway, I fired so-and-so. I'm like, you what? And he's like, yeah, I fired him. And I'm like, oh, first he said, hey, he's gone. And I'm like, what happened? He goes, I fired him. So, so I'm like, well, okay. He was a problem anyway. So the, the, the point is, I don't consider myself the head of Calvary Chico. I'll be here as long as the Lord has me here. 35 years, that's a pretty good run. You know, when you play music for a living, the idea of a 35-year gig is pretty radical. I mean, even Elvis never had that. But, uh, but, but I know the Lord has me here for a season. I don't know what's next. I know heaven's somewhere on the other side of it. But between here and there, I just want to be found faithful. I'm not aspiring to become more than I can be. And I don't want to be any less than he's made me. And I just want to encourage you to be your best for him and to understand that greatness in his mind and in his eyes it isn't about how many people serve under you, but how many people you serve. And he's going to make that clear. That's the second thing. Their ambition, like their understanding and orientation, was it was carnal. It wasn't spiritual. They wanted to be greatest in their own eyes, greatest in their, their peers' eyes, greatest before men. They forgot that it's all about God. They were separated by God to the ministry that he prepared them for and prepared for them. And they're acting like mere men. They were ambitious, but what they didn't realize is selfish ambition is self-defeating. Selfish ambition is bad motivation. It actually taints even our best works. It's easier, you see, for our Lord to make saints of us than to make servants of us. How so? Well, to be a saint just means you're in Christ Jesus. If you've been taught otherwise, let me assure you, Paul writes his letters and he writes about two thirds of the New Testament to the saints in Rome, in Corinth, 
in Galatia, the region of Galatia, in the city of Ephesus, and in all of these cities, he writes to saints. The word saint and the word holy come from the same Greek root. They're not just cousins. They are very close. So if you're a saint, you're holy. If you're holy, you're a saint. And we're talking positionally here, something he does. He imparts it to us, makes it reality, and it will always be our reality. So God's made us holy. God's made us saints. He has to teach us to be servants. And we're going to see how Jesus deals with them. And I do want to say I'm so grateful. He doesn't rebuke them. He's gentle with them. I would be getting frustrated about this time or two years earlier because they are such slow learners. And again, that should give us hope because some of us, truth be told, we're slow learners. We're learning. We're growing. But, you know, we see others and they just shoot up and we're sort of like, we're very slow and very steady. But I want to say an oak grows slowly, but it has deep roots and it grows to be mighty. And it may be if, if it appears you're growing slowly or your husband or your wife or your kids or someone else, maybe God just making something greater of them that takes longer to really come to fruition. Well, anyway, we have to choose to become servants. And then we have to affirm that decision daily. And this is what they got wrong. They wanted to be great, but they didn't yet understand that the greatest, that's what they aspired to, was the servant, would be the servant of all. Well, uh, so third thing, their understanding and orientation and mindset was worldly. Their ambition, likewise. Third thing, they aspired to be great in the eyes of the world. And the world, man, it's so fickle. The people that are, one day they're a star, the next day they say something nice about the president and they are just hated. I mean, the, the barrage of hatred that comes unbelievable. And so uh, I won't say anything nice about him today because I kind of need a break. But, but I'm just saying, it, it's like we're so polarized as a people and, and selfish ambition, that the confusion that that breeds is a part of that polarization. So um, I, I was thinking about this. If they were the greatest, what were they the greatest at? The greatest former fisherman? I mean, you know, you sitting around talking about the one that got away. It was always much bigger than the one you caught. I don't understand that. I would just talk about the biggest one I caught. It'd be like, the one that got away, no one can prove that. But I, the greatest, how about this? The greatest tax collector. Matthew could have said, hey, the greatest. The greatest zealot. They had one of those guys. The greatest thief, that would be Judas. Or the current demon-casting, sick-healing, dead-raising, gospel-preaching apostle. That's what they had become. James and John, I already mentioned them. They give a serious insight into their personal ambitions. And when they say, we want to sit at your right hand and left, when they send mom to ask, according to Matthew, it says the other disciples were indignant. How dare they ask for the positions we're hoping to have? So Jesus deals with them. And how does he deal with them? Three things here. He was first an example to them. And we cannot underestimate the importance, the power of our example to, to those closest to us, to one another, to those in the community, those at school or at work or at play. 
What we are is going to speak louder to them than what we say. And if we are an example of merciful and kind and patient and gentle and forgiving and gracious and, and loving all those things, and then we start talking, they're going to be more apt to listen. And if you're working somewhere where people really aren't into the whole Christian thing, and there are a lot of places like that today, just, just let it be known that, that, hey, if you ever have you know, a need, be happy to pray for you. If you ever need have a need, I'd be happy to talk with you. And if they look at you like you're crazy, just wait. You work there a year, something's going to happen. They're going to come to you because nobody else is saying such a thing. When, when horrible things happen, everybody scatters, except for you. You're still there, still available, still wanting to, to bless and, uh, and heal. So uh, Jesus, a comfort to an example to them and to us. Secondly, he defined greatness for them. He actually redefines greatness for them. He says it'll be the last, it'll be the least, it will be the lowest. The servant of all is the greatest in the kingdom of God. I don't think any of them, if they'd been given a little survey, who do you think is the greatest after Jesus, would have said, well, it's the servant, the last, the least, the less. If there were a hundred tickets, they were worth a thousand dollars, and 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 they said, "Well, you know, show up, and and we're gonna give them away, and a thousand people show up." How hard do you work to just stay in the back of the line? How dangerous is it to try to get into the front of the line? And that's because I never hear anyone saying, "Me last, me last." If you ever played sports. One of the great disappointments is to be picked last. The only thing worse than that is to have an uneven number and they say, wow, I'm sorry, bro. We, we already have eight on each team. We, we can't use you. And I'm like, but there's still a place in the outfield. But anyway, bottom line, no one wants to be last. No one wants to be least. No one wants to be less. But Jesus is saying, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, Learn to be the servant of all. We used to sing that chorus. You know what it says? If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. Want to be great in God's kingdom? Learn to be the servant of all. Learn to be the servant of all. Learn to be the servant of all. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. I like those choruses. You know why? Because even somebody who's, you know, doesn't have the best memory or gets spaced out a little easily, I can remember that. And it's not just a song. Plus, you put, you put words to music, you almost always remember them. And, and the, that's Jesus' theme here. You want to be great? Great. Here's how you do it. Well, the path of greatness is service. Service born of love and humility, not tied to blind and selfish ambition, I've noticed something else. Verse 35, some act as if Jesus is saying, and you can read it this way, and some do. It says, they sat down, he called the choice of, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last. And servant of all, it sounds like to some, he's going to make them be a servant. He's going to punish them for wanting to be great by making them serve others. Nothing could be further from the truth. He's the greatest in the kingdom. You want to be second greatest, then serve the most. Then, then, then give your life and, and live your life for him. So, 
so uh, he, he's not punishing us by letting us serve. That's the grace of God that we get to serve at all. And then he blesses us in serving. Well, serving is the fruit and evidence. It's the proof of true greatness in God's eyes, in God's economy. What does a servant's heart look like? Well, to simplify things, just ask, why am I serving? What's your motivation? Here's a good, quick heart check. Look at what it says in Philippians 2.3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Serving out of a desire to bless and give to others, despite the personal cost, is what Paul is exhorting us to do in that verse. Serving out of a desire for recognition or any other personal gain is not. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.